Let's pray. Merciful and gracious God, we thank you for the word that you have given us, a word that is sure throughout time. Shape us, uplift us, convict us, and conform us to your word, to the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. So today we are starting a new four-week series on forgiveness. And although we are starting officially a series today on forgiveness, it is actually kind of an extension from the Easter message, especially the message from last week, which was about repentance and forgiveness proclaimed. We talked about that our whole life, our faith, is based on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it is not just a dead faith, it is a living faith, because it is a present and eternal, eternal reality of forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus. Because he died, we have forgiveness. Because he lives, we are sure that we are forgiven. And that we have that living faith, not just far ago, but in the present, in the here and now. And what does a living faith also have then? To have a living faith is to live in accordance with the character and nature of God who forgives. Not only are we justified, we are then sanctified. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And what is the gospel but forgiveness? So we are to have that living faith according to the character and nature of God who forgives. Now this series, by the way, is going to be challenging in a couple of respects. One, it's going to be challenging because it is very countercultural. In our current world, if you take a look at the politics, if you take a look at the ideologies, if you take a look at the media, if you take a look at cancel culture, none of that has forgiveness anywhere. As a matter of fact, it is much more an eye for an eye, and that's the culture we live in right now. And as much as we try not to, that culture does rub off on us. So it will be challenging because we are going directly against the culture. It will also be challenging because you will naturally be moved to forgive and to seek forgiveness. And that's going to be really hard, isn't it? Because we want to hold back on both of those things. But if we do have a living faith, and a living faith is based in the character and nature of God in Christ Jesus for us, we are called to live a life of forgiveness. We aren't going to do that by psychology. We aren't going to do that by philosophy. We are going to look at this from God's own word. And we're actually going to start back in the Old Testament because just as we talked about a number of weeks ago, redemption is one of those themes throughout Scripture. Forgiveness is one of those themes throughout Scripture. So we're going to start with the Old Testament. We're going to go to Exodus. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 34. 
As a matter of fact, it is one of the most prominent, well-known sections of Scripture, a very important section of Scripture, especially Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. As a matter of fact, you know how we talk about John 3.16 as kind of our go-to verse in describing who God is and the love that God has for us? Exodus chapter 34, 6 and 7 are those verses as well, especially it was for the Israelites and for the Jews who live today. But I'm going to guess, I'm just going to take a wild guess that it might have been a while since you've read Exodus. Would that be a good guess? Yeah, and for those who are worshiping with us at home, it have, might have also been a while since you have studied Exodus. So I got to do a little bit of context building here before we can even get to chapter 34. Okay, so to understand that, we're going to actually go to Exodus chapter 19. So the Lord has called Moses up to Mount Sinai, okay? And on Mount Sinai, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I mean, this is a wonderful statement that God has given. He has given them a promise. But do you remember how a couple of weeks ago I talked about covenants? Some covenants are unconditional, and some are conditional. In this case, God makes a conditional covenant with them. If you obey my voice, you will be my people. Now, and if they obey his voice and are his people, they will be blessed in a way that no other people have ever been blessed. Think about it this way. It is the best marriage proposal a people have ever had. Okay? So God tells Moses this. Then Moses goes to the people and he tells them what the Lord has said. And all the people answered and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In essence, they said, I do. The marriage proposal. So then in chapter 20, God gives them the Ten Commandments. This was a sacred time. So you want to think in some ways the covenant between God and the Israelites is very much like a wedding vow, the sacredness of a wedding vow. Okay, so now we're going to skip to chapter 24. Chapter 24, Moses and Joshua go up again on Mount Sinai. And Moses stays for 40 days. He gets instruction from the Lord, and the Lord, with his own finger, writes his covenant on the tablets tablets that he has given to Moses. All right? You got that. But it's 40 days. And do you remember what the people did? They got antsy. They said, well, I don't know where Moses has gone. As a matter of fact, they said this, Exodus chapter 32, 
telling Aaron, up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of this land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. We don't know. Aaron, make us a god that we can worship. So Aaron said, all right, give me all of your golden earrings. And he makes a golden calf. Not solid gold, but it probably would have been overlaid in gold. And he makes a calf. And not only does he make a calf, he makes an altar. And they worship that god. Look, 40 days, they had just given a sacred marriage vow, a covenant before the Lord, and now they have broken it. This, think of the magnitude of this. This is simply not unfaithfulness. In other places, God calls this whoring after false gods. This is the depth and depravity that the nation of Israel within the 40 days has fallen away from God. In essence, this would be grounds for divorce, right? It would be. As a matter of fact, God, in his anger, says, I will just destroy the people. Moses, as the intercessor, pleads with God. God relents, but even Moses, when he comes down from the mountain, and he has the tablets, and he sees the depravity of what they have done. What does he do with the tablets? Smashes them. God's covenant, broken, smashed. Okay? That was the Cliff Notes version before we get to chapter 34. Now, in chapter 34, Exodus 34, I'm just going to read verses 2 and 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablet the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. So Moses cut two, two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded, commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Believe it or not, this is a message of good news. The good news is that even though they disobeyed, right? And they really disobeyed. Depravity, weakness, rebellion. God was willing to renew his covenant with them. God still wanted them to be his people to have his law. And Moses, the mediator, right? Moses is the mediator between the Israelites and God. Moses then takes two stones, whereas God made the first stones. Now Moses had to do the work. He takes the stones and he goes up to the mountains. But as good as Moses was as a mediator, and as high up as he went on the mountain. God had to come down. God had to stoop down to the level of Moses. I like how one person put it. He said, he is a great God, and no matter how high he reach, he still has to stoop. For us to have an encounter with God at all requires his infinite condescension. He is the creator. We are only creatures. 
He is enthroned in heaven, and we dwell on earth below. He's God, we're not. So if he relates to us at all, he must come down. So what you have to understand, the good news is that even though we have sinned, God comes down. I want you to mentally bookmark what we just covered here because we're going to get to it at the very end again. So God comes down, and because of his divine nature, he forgives. Verse 5 and 6, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This verse, verse 6, right here, a keystone verse. See, if you were going to describe God to someone else, how would you describe him? You know, a a lot of people would say, well, God is love. But as we've talked about that before in our culture today, that even that idea of love is so watered down, it's but a pale imitation of God's love. So the Lord comes before Moses and tells him who it is that is making this covenant. And I know it says, the Lord, the Lord, Now, if you've been with me at any time at all, Lord in all capital letters in the Old Testament stands for what? Yahweh. And how do we translate Yahweh? I am. So he comes before Moses and says, I am, I am. Now, this is important because we normally think of just names as titles, just just something that you use to call somebody else. But in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and with God, more importantly, when you say his name, to speak his name is to speak his whole nature. To say the name of God is to speak his whole nature. So when he comes before Moses... He gives him the same name that he had given him at the burning bush. I am self-existent God. No beginning, no end. You see, God's name is sacred because his very nature is sacred. And thus, to use his name in a way that should never be used is not just wrong, it blasphemes his whole, holy nature. So God comes before Moses. He says, I am, I am. And now he gives some attributes, characteristics of his divine nature. uh, He says, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. As I said, this was a key verse in the Old Testament. You're going to find this in various Psalms, David using this. You can find this in Joel. You'll find this even with Jonah. Even with Jonah, who was so upset that God didn't wipe out the Ninevites that he actually did forgive them because they repented. He says, well, I know you are a gracious, merciful God, you know, in his grumpy sort of way. 
But even then, he's referring back to what God has declared about himself. So there are attributes in here, and just briefly go over a couple of them, but I want to dig into one of them. So merciful. This also has a sense of compassion, right? That God really does care for his people. And so what is mercy but withholding a penalty that is due to someone? That he is gracious. This is more than being kind. This goes beyond mercy because then it gives something that they don't deserve. And slow to anger. Some uh, translations would say long-suffering. So God in his patience and a greater patience than I would ever have. You know, I, I, I should never be a, um, a classroom instructor for kindergartens. It, I, I, like, I become a dad really fast, you know? I don't have the patience for that. The Israelites were like the kindergartners. How could God have such patience? Slow to anger. But now there's one that I want to dive into a little bit more. It says steadfast love. That steadfast love in the Hebrew, it's called hesed or with a C-H, hesed. And we actually talked about this and dived into this word a little bit in our study in the book of Ruth. It's a word that I've just kind of fallen in love with. But it is a rich word And so we want to spend a little bit of time on it. It's actually found over 250 times in the Old Testament. And abounding in steadfast love, it, it speaks to the loyalty or faithfulness within a relationship. One person put it like this, it is God's loving kindness that is sure love, which will never let you go. Even though the Israelites disobeyed God greatly and were unfaithful, God remained faithful in his love for them. Even though that you and I are unfaithful, God remains faithful. His love endures forever. It is a love that will not let you go. This is why the story of the prodigal son is so powerful. Right, the son had everything that he wanted. He goes away and squanders it all. So bad that he's with the pigs. That's how dirty and filthy he has become. But when he comes home, what does the father do? The father runs to him, embraces him. He had never stopped loving his son, and he rejoiced when he came home. This is the steadfast love of God. And although Paul didn't write about Hesed, in his letter to the Romans, he really gets to the sense of that steadfast love. Romans chapter 8, verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the depth of God's love. 
And in verse 7, it says, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Now, the implication here is for thousands of generations. So a generation is anywhere from 20 to 30 years. So steadfast love for 20 to 30,000 years. But even that doesn't get to the right sense of it. Because when they talk about thousands, it is simply a large, unending number. A period of time that is not truly countable. Psalm 8, 118, the refrain gets this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel... Oh, got to get the page here. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. So this is God passing before Moses. He says, I am, I am merciful, gracious, steadfast love for thousands of generations. This is who I am. It is a sacred moment. And because of His nature, because of God's nature and who He is, what does God do? He forgives. Because of His nature, He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. So let's spend a little bit of time on this. Forgive. Again, it's a word that you don't hear much nowadays in our culture. Not at all. And by the way, when we say we forgive somebody, mostly we kind of forgive them, don't we? We say, I forgive you, but I'm still going to hold that resentment, and I'm still going to wait for you to trip up so then I can clobber you again and say, don't you remember? And so it's not really forgiveness, is it? It's a begrudging sort of thing, like a halfway sort of forgiveness. But to truly forgive is to pardon or free a person from any guilt or punishment. That's true forgiveness. I'll read it again. To truly forgive is to pardon or free a person from any guilt, including punishment. Now, the word used for forgive here actually means to lift or to carry. So it's a picture of God lifting up the burden of guilt, the burden of sin from somebody's shoulders. And because they are forgiven, they are then freed and restored in the relationship with God. You see, too, true forgiveness is the basis of a restored relationship. Without true forgiveness, all relationships remain in some state of brokenness. You know, when I wrote this, my mind had a lot of yeah buts in there. Yeah, but what about this person? They really don't need to be forgiven completely, do they? Well, what about this particular circumstance? I mean, I had a lot of circumstances, right? And there's a lot of resistance. 
I'm just speaking for me. I don't, maybe you have mastered forgiveness. I have not. I find myself very human in this regard. They say to err is human, to forgive is what? Divine. I would say even to sin is human and not forgive is human, but to forgive is divine. You see, true forgiveness is based on the divine nature of God. And what has he actually forgiven? Well, it says he has forgiven iniquity, transgressions, and sin. These are three words that the Lord has used to describe the fullness of what he forgives. And you know, those words sound sterile sometimes, kind of academic in our ears. Iniquity, transgressions. I like actually how somebody else translated. They said wickedness and rebellion and sin. Wickedness. I've mentioned this once before, but one time uh, when I was in the business world, we were in New Orleans, and we were right downtown, and we were right off Bourbon Street. I'd never been there, so I wanted to go and see what it was like. It wasn't Mardi Gras or anything. It was just a normal night on Bourbon Street. It was so wicked, it was palpable. I felt it. It was that moral debaseness. I mean, you know, sometimes you see it in movies, you can kind of go, yeah, that's a movie and movie. But where they had guys out on the street hawking, come see the naked women inside. I, 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 it's it just like, stop me. I, I literally went a block and then I had to turn around because it was so awful. And what's the transgressions? It's translated as rebellion. So it's not even just the wickedness, but it is literally shaking your fist at God and saying, I don't believe you. Forget you. I don't care what you have to say. Utter rebellion. And then to say sin, to make sure that we don't try to leave out anything that we might want to find a little excuse for. So this is what God forgives. Again, true forgiveness comes from the very divine nature of God. How many of you have given true forgiveness? It's probably a difficult thing. There might be some instances, but if true forgiveness comes from divine nature, and if I want to have a heart of forgiveness, I need a heart of Christ. If you want a heart of forgiveness, you need the heart of Christ, the Son of God. You know, because of his infinite mercy, grace, his steadfast love, he forgives in such a way that he remembers no more your sin, that they are truly cast away. And thus we rejoice that our sin has been so completely forgiven. And because our sin has been so completely forgiven, we are then to forgive others. See, to be a Christian is to live a life of forgiveness. It's not simply an add-on thing you get to do every once in a while. This is the fullness of a living faith, one that does forgive. Because Christ, God in Christ Jesus forgave us, we should do the same, shouldn't we? 
Now, it would have been nice, by the way, if our reading ended right there. It would have been really nice had it ended right there. But God continues on. There's a little bit more that he said to Moses. He says, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? Ouch! I mean, hold on. Didn't we just talk about all the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy of God for us? That he has declared that? And then he says, Yeah, but, but, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So how are we to understand that? Is that a contradiction at all? I mean, is there something about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament? Well, there can't be a contradiction in this, because otherwise God's just a petty God, So how are we to understand this? Well, the first thing to know is that for those who continue to rebel, in essence, for those who continue in their sin without repentance, there actually is condemnation and consequence for their sin. This is plain and simple. And God has been consistent throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because a lot of people want to say, oh, well, That's just God of the Old Testament. I want to say, have you read Scripture? Everybody knows John 3.16, right? Do you know John 3.18? We did this in our Bible study on Wednesday night. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So continued unrepentant wickedness, rebellion, sin, there is condemnation for that. There is a judgment against that. There is a penalty for that. But there's also another aspect that I want to have you consider. So, it is this. The sins of the fathers can and do echo down through the generations. So that the sins of the father or mother can and do echo down through generations. Think of alcoholism and how much an alcoholic father or mother can affect the children, and then the children's children, and then the children's children's children, down through the generations. I mean, I was just having the conversation with a person yesterday, or sorry, uh, Friday about that. And this person was giving me all of the different implications of because this happened, this happened, this happened, and this happened. One site says this, it affects children with isolation, fear of authority, loss of identity, compulsive personality, fear or anger, emotional confusion, fear of abandonment, 
and not to mention, by the way, generational poverty. All of these things because of the sin of the father or mother. Some people say, well, I'm not an alcoholic, I don't do drugs. Fine. The sin of a temper that just flies off the handle at everything, in which there's a lack of love shown, echoes down through the generations. We talked also about the effects of pornography, too. So of lust, and how that also echoes down through the generations. So when God says, unrepentant sin, there is a penalty for that. Yes, there's a divine penalty. There's also a very human penalty associated with this. So there's no contradiction in here. So Moses, hearing that, he says, God, please be in our midst. We need you in our midst. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go into the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. There's so much that we could cover in this one section alone. I'm going to focus just on this. Do you remember how he said God came down with Moses to the mountain? God did come down to be with us in our midst. And so Moses' plea, his prayer was answered. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, God the Son, really did stoop down fully, took on human flesh. But his name is also Emmanuel, God with us. And he is truly in our midst. And he walks with us. And we have the blessing of forgiveness of sin through him. And so we cry out to him to forgive us. We cry out to him to give us a heart of forgiveness. And we cry out to him, thanking him for being a merciful, gracious God who abounds in steadfast love throughout the generations. This is our Savior. So from Exodus all the way to Christ Jesus, we see the love of God for us. A God who comes down and forgives. So for you today, I'd like you to think about this. To have a living faith is to live accordance with the character and nature of God who forgives. It's a good thing to meditate, to think about. And if you do it deeply enough, it'll probably bother you. You know, like, do you ever get a pebble in your shoe? There are three things you can do with a pebble in your shoe. You can uh, kick it to your toes, so, you know, so it doesn't bother you so much. You can try to ignore it, or finally you can take it out and deal with it. This is kind of like a pebble in your shoe. 
Think about this question. Answer, how has God in Christ Jesus forgiven you? And then pray this week. Pray for Jesus to work on your heart, one that forgives as he forgives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the grace you have shown to us, for the love and that is steadfast throughout the generations. Draw us ever closer to you. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.